All right. It is going to be hard to follow that song number, but I'm going to do my best. Uh, We're in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. Uh, So let me uh, read our scripture before we uh, get into uh, some reflections on what it might hold for us tonight. Uh, It says this, Matthew 11, chapter uh, chapter 11, verse 2 says, When John, that that is John the Baptist, uh, when John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with skin diseases are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. Blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. Uh, The old saying is, never meet your heroes, right? The thinking goes that you have built up that one day imagined encounter to such a degree that you will always end up disappointed, right? Perhaps the person you are convinced will be your instant friend turns out just to be a jerk when you meet him in real life, right? Or even worse totally apathetic to your existence when you have spent so much time thinking about them and how good of friends you were going to be. Don't meet your heroes, right? Now, when I was in college, uh, my friends and I used to talk about what we would do if we ever met one of our heroes, and there was this small group of people that we considered our heroes. We uh, were a part, my, my closest friends were all a part of an improv troupe in college that we were a part of that, um, to be quite honest, and this is not like godly humility, we really weren't very good, but we thought ourselves to be rock stars on the campus and to be comedic heroes one day. We knew we were going to grow up to the next generation of the funniest people. And uh, in, when I grew up and when I was in college in the 90s, um, which hurts a little bit because that's now on oldies stations, stuff from the 90s, but um, our, our heroes were the, uh, the, the few people on Saturday Night Live at the time, which is, you know, my era growing up that we thought were the funniest people that had ever existed. And we had made a pact as a group. What we had said was, if any of us ever has the chance to meet one of those people from Saturday Night Live, we are required uh, as fellow comedic uh, geniuses to do something so funny in front of them when we met them that they just stopped what they were doing and thought, you know what, we have to be friends. And that was going to be our way in. It was a plan we'd all worked out. We talked about it. We'd imagined the scenarios. Like when you work out what's going to happen when you win the lottery one day or something like that. We had all worked this out. Um, We wanted to make sure we did something so great that they couldn't not be friends with us afterwards. Well, not too long after we had made that plan, I was uh, flying to go to this concert festival in Chicago landed in Chicago and had a bunch of baggage on one of those rolling carts because we were, I was going to be camping and I had a bunch of stuff with me. And I was trying to find where the bus station was because I had to take a bus 
Um, kids, there was no Uber at the time. You just had to take buses and, and stuff to get to where you wanted to go. So I'm, I'm wandering around the O'Hare Airport trying to figure out where I am. And coming at me was one of those Delta carts, you know, with the very active horn that lets you know you're in their way all the time. And, and that cart was coming, and there was a, a guy sitting in the back of the cart, uh, big sunglasses, a lot of hair, a lot of beard. And uh, I didn't think anything about it. But as they were passing, the driver was talking to the person behind. And as they were passing, I heard the voice that passed me, and I knew it was the voice of one of my heroes. I, kn- I knew who it was, and I turned, and I caught just a glimpse as they went by, and they were cruising. It was kind of late at night, not many people in the airport. And in that moment, I knew that was one of my heroes. And so I had a decision to make, uh, and I decided to do what any sane human being would do at that point. I turned my rolling cart around, and I began to sprint down the concourse, trying to keep up with the Delta cart which are surprisingly fast because it seems a little dangerous how quick those can go when there's so many people around. And I'm, and I'm running, and I'm running because I know that even though there's a long beard and long hair and, and sunglasses and he doesn't look like I'd ever seen him look before. I know now he was in a movie at the time. He was filming to, like a pioneer movie. I knew, I knew that was Chris Farley. I knew it. And I, he was one of my heroes. I watched all his movies. He made me laugh more than anyone. I loved, I loved Chris Farley. And so I was running, and I'm running, and I'm, I'm not catching up. I'm barely maintaining the distance they had already created. But as I'm running, I look, and I see there's this huge plexiglass wall, like for security, and so that cart is going to have to stop. And I realize, I think I'm going to be able to get to them before he can get off that cart and through uh, security. And so now is my moment. We, I've been planning for this. I've been thinking about this. And so as I'm running, I'm, I'm pulling out, like, my journal and a pen because I need to get an autograph. And I run up, and sure enough, the cart stops, and he's not running off of it. He's kind of taking his time. Catch up. And I tap him on the shoulder, and he turns around, and I am face-to-face. I was correct. It was, it was Chris Farley. I know that was set up to be like it was some random dude that I assaulted. No, it was, it was Chris Farley. I was one foot away from my hero. Now was my chance to do something so funny that he couldn't help but be my friend. And you may be thinking, Mike, did you really pull through? I, no, I did not. <laughs> I looked him square in the eye. I handed him my journal and pen, and I said, I love you, man. <laughs> and he said, cool. And he took the, and then I, sw- I pivoted and just put my arm around him like we were old <laughs> friends and just side-hugged him while he signed a, uh, his autograph that said, stay cool, put his name, handed it back to me, and mercifully uh, was nice to me in that couple minutes, and then turned, walked through that door, gone forever. And I was standing there in that moment. I couldn't, I just met one of my heroes, and I was so excited for like half a second until I replayed in my mind that I had just professed love for him and hugged him and not done any of the things I was supposed to do. All right. They say, don't meet your heroes. Now, in my case, he was great. I blew it, right? It did not work the way uh, it was supposed to. And that's what happens with great expectations, right? With great expectations, there often comes great disappointment. We've all been there. There's something you've built up in your mind, and then when it finally came to pass, it wasn't what you thought. And even if it could be good, you can't enjoy it, because great expectations bring great disappointment. 
Uh, and that very human experience we've all had is one of the reasons why, in a strange way, today's passage is really one of my favorite in Scripture. Um, it genuinely encourages me. It's not one of the ones you'll find on a bumper sticker somewhere. It's not one of the ones people will quote as their life verse, but it genuinely encourages me because I believe today's text is about John the Baptist's doubts, about his questions, right? He's in prison. He hears what Jesus is doing, and he sends his disciples to say, wait, is it you? I mean, you're the one we're waiting for, right? And I assume that that question is a genuine question on his part. And that's kind of the, the theological place I'm going to start from tonight. Now, there's been plenty of, of people in the past and commentators who will say, John wasn't really questioning there. He obviously knew who Jesus was. Um, you know, he was just kind of voicing something maybe to get his disciples to go over to Jesus' disciples or something like that. And that, that may be true. I personally have no problem with the idea that John, in prison, things going as poorly as they will because he won't, he won't ever leave prison. He will be beheaded soon. We know that. He doesn't in this point. That he might be genuinely wondering what is going on, right? I think it's a genuine question from an imprisoned prophet. And then you have to ask yourself, what would cause this man to doubt? This man who was so certain who Jesus was, who, who baptized him and heard a voice from heaven, who re- didn't want to baptize him because he thought Jesus was too good, the one who was proclaiming all the messages that were supposed to be clearing the way for the Messiah, the guy who was so confident, what's causing him to doubt? Is it because he's rotting away in a prison that he'll never leave? Because let's be honest, that's just not fair. John did what he was supposed to do. John went out to the desert. John did the hard work. John preached repentance. John baptized people. John did all the things he was supposed to do, and yet here he is in prison, never to leave again, to eventually be killed him of those who were in charge. He did what he was supposed to do, and this was his reward? I don't know about you, but I'd be asking some questions. Or was it because Jesus wasn't quite the kind of religious that John thought he was? I mean, I'm not sure how much you've read in the scriptures, but, but John was a, I don't know how to say it, maybe a teetotaler or something like that. John was religiously pretty strict. He left the city. He lived out in the desert to separate himself from society. We know that he and his disciples made a habit of fasting, doing all the kind of religious things you're supposed to do uh, as faithful people. He stayed away from the sinful cities. He, he did all those things. And then there's Jesus, and Jesus kind of didn't do any of that stuff. Jesus' disciples didn't fast. They often broke Sabbath rules. He hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes in the cities instead of out on the desert separating himself from everyone. Jesus was called a glutton and a drunkard because of how he lived. In my home church, Jesus is what we call a backslider. He was doing the things that we thought he shouldn't do. It seems at least part of the reason that John is asking these questions is because Jesus is not meeting his expectations in some way. It says that John asks, wants to know if Jesus is the one once he hears what Jesus is doing, right? Part of the reason that John is asking questions is because of the very, the very work that Christ is doing. And I can understand it because think about all the things that, that John preached. He preached fire and he preached, you know, there's someone coming after me that's going to baptize with fire, all these kind of things. Where is that fire that John was telling everyone was going to come after him? John promised fire and here's Jesus blessing children, healing the sick one at a time, being kind to those that no one else would be kind to. Where is the fire? 
I mean, John was bringing it. I think I've said this before, but I feel like there's a lot like Metallica opening up for James Taylor. Wasn't there supposed to be a little more fire and brimstone? And here John is getting fire and rain, right? Which one of these is the reasons why John is questioning here? Some combination of them? All of them? I don't know. We're not told. But I can relate to all of them, and I think all of them are certainly understandable. They're all reasons to seek clarification, if nothing else. Either way, there's John in prison, second-guessing, needing clarification, wanting to know more. Either way, there is no doubt that in some way Jesus is not meeting John's expectations. And John was not alone in that. Many of people said no to Jesus because he just didn't fit what they expected. This was not how it was supposed to go. And I'd argue that for us, sometimes God does not fit our great expectations either. I don't know about you, but I've offered up a prayer or two of disappointment to God in my life. Maybe God seemed too passive when God should be doing more. Maybe God was too slow to ma- in making things right. Maybe God seemed unjust or uh, unfair to me. Maybe God wasn't quite angry enough about the things that I wanted God to be angry about. Whatever the reason or combination of reasons, God has disappointed my expectations. And I like this verse because I feel like maybe God was disappointing John's expectations too. When he hears what Jesus is doing, he has to ask, is this, is this what I was preparing everyone for in the desert? Is this the fire that I promised everyone was coming? All that was so you could wander around teaching small crowds so you could randomly heal people and help individuals with no rhyme or reason in this very particular part of the world. I mean, let's be honest. Jesus has a questionable strategy at best. If you're going to save the entire world, there's got to be more effective path than what Jesus chose. Jesus has not changed a single law. He has not raised an army. He has not deposed any leaders. What has he done? Uh, He healed a naked demoniac and killed a bunch of pigs while doing it, which is fun, but I'm not sure it's real world-changing. He had a random woman get healed from bleeding who snuck up on him and touched his robe without his permission. Uh, He spit in the dirt, rubbed his hands in the mud, rubbed it on a guy's face and made him be able to see again when he was blind previously. Um, He healed people and did all kinds of things, but a lot of the people he healed, um, he was sure to tell afterwards, don't tell anyone about what I did. He fed a crowd of people who foolishly wandered out to hear him without any way of providing for themselves. He did walk on water, which is pretty amazing, but he only did it for like the 11 people that were closest to him, and no one else saw. This is the plan for global salvation and redemption? It's questionable, right? Why didn't he do something bigger or better or more impressive than this? He is supposed to be God incarnate. Maybe he could have done some kind of big miracle that everyone would see and believe. Maybe he could have taken over the empire and used its power for good instead of evil. Maybe he could just help, instead of just helping certain people, he could like feed all of Israel instead of just that one crowd. Maybe he could have done any of those three things, right? Those are all good ideas. They all make sense. That's how you're a Messiah. They are all good ideas, except one strike against them is that they're all the temptations that Satan put before Christ too in the desert. They're all the things that Jesus said no to. 
And given that they were Satan's temptation, I'm, I'm not a, a good theologian, but maybe those aren't great choices. They make sense, which is why they're a temptation. But ultimately, they appear to be the devil's tools, not God's. So I think in ways you could say that Jesus is disappointing all of our expectations because he just doesn't show up the way we think would work. He doesn't use those tools. And that disappointment, I believe that disappointment is what we celebrate every Advent and Christmas. It's the annual reminder of the good news that Jesus falls beautifully short of our great expectations. And that is good news. The people are oppressed. The empire is corrupt. The world is broken. Send help. And help comes in the form of someone helpless, laying in a manger, dependent on his mother for survival. Help comes through an unwed teenager living in a nondescript part of the world at a non-particular time in history. Help comes in the form of a wiggling, crying, vulnerable, dependent newborn, a baby who shows up with nothing to offer but himself. Help comes in the scandalously small and particular life, teaching, and healings of Jesus. God's help is made up of the very last person, last place, last thing we would look to for salvation. God's help shows up by falling short of our expectations, and that is good news. And that's why I love Jesus' response to John's question. Because Jesus' response is the very same thing that caused John to have doubts in the first place, right? It says, when John heard what Jesus was doing, he sent people to ask questions. When Jesus heard John's question, he sent them back to tell John what he was doing. He answers the question with what John found questionable in the first place. Our hope, this Advent season, this Christmas, our hope in this world is found in the very places that cause us most to doubt, right? God is found, God is really, truly found in the small and in the particular and in the unimpressive. His power is his weakness and his vulnerability. His justice is his grace and his unconditional love. And while we have spent much of our Christian history trying to make Jesus greater than he ever tried to be, we can find the good news where it actually resides, in the small, vulnerable, incarnate places of God's unconditional love in this world. And that's what we celebrate today. That's what we celebrate when we celebrate the scene of Christmas. We celebrate this so that maybe we can be a faithful people. Maybe we can be a faithful people with expectations small enough to wrap its little hand around our finger and save our souls. Let's pray.